Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do it live. Cleveland Browns Daily on a Monday edition here at training camp from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus out here in Berea. Merely Bo, the great Z, and the Hoff. And the Hoff. And the Hoff as yes. we kick things off. My goodness, just an Adonis walking across here. Obviously, the news of the day is the news we've all been waiting for and curious about. And you tried to avoid it. With, I tried. All I wanted so it. hard. I just yeah. wanted it to be last week. <laughs> That's all I wanted was it to be last week. Great effort. Poor results. Uh, yeah. Poor, results, right. Poor which results. Which is pretty standard for my life. <laughs> Good process. Um, yeah, the process was hopeful. Yeah, we. but you finally have some clarity here, at least for now. And we'll go through the specifics of where we are. But the verdict was in this morning. This was probably uh, around 830 this morning. Uh, Judge Sue Robinson recommending a six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson. Um, this is coming off of last night. We got news from the NFLPA that they would not appeal yep. the decision, whatever that ruling was, the NFLPA saying that they would not appeal it, hoping that the NFL would do the same. We now have some clarity on that, sort of, from the NFL, and also some specifics from Sue L. Robinson on her ruling, the why, the where, and how this all came about. Z, what do you have for us? All right, so this is her conclusion from Judge Sue L. Robinson. She said, and I quote, the NFL may be a forward-facing organization, but it is not necessarily a forward-looking one. Just as the NFL responded to violent conduct after a public outcry, so it seems the NFL is responding to yet another public outcry about Mr. Watson's conduct. At least in the former situation, the policy was changed and applied, applied proactively. Here, the NFL is attempting to impose a more dramatic shift in its culture without the benefit of fair notice to and consistency of consequence for those in the NFL subject to the policy. Looking at the record when compared to the relevant precedent and looking forward to how this disciplinary determination might be used in the future, I find the most appropriate landing place to be as follows. One, Mr. Watson is hereby suspended for six regular season games without pay. Although this is the most significant punishment ever imposed on an NFL player for an allegation of nonviolent sexual conduct, Mr. Watson's pattern of conduct is more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. Two, Recognizing that the only discipline mentioned in the CBA is a fine or suspension, I nevertheless believe it appropriate for Mr. Watson to limit his massage therapy to club-directed sessions and club-approved massage therapists for the duration of his career, and so impose this mandate as a condition to his reinstatement. Number three, Mr. Watson is to have no adverse involvement with law enforcement and must not commit any additional violations of the policy. So that's what she said. That was her Conclusion, there is a document that is now coming out many, many pages going through all of her findings from this. You mentioned the NFLPA had said that it would not appeal any ruling. The CBA provides for either the NFL or the NFLPA to appeal the ruling within a three-day window. Here's what the NFL said, and I quote, We thank Judge Sue L. Robinson, the independent disciplinary officer, for her review of the voluminous record and attention during a three-day hearing that resulted in her finding multiple violations of the NFL personal conduct policy by Deshaun Watson. We appreciate Judge Robinson's diligence and professionalism throughout this process. Pursuant to the collective bargaining agreement, the NFL or the NFLPA, on behalf of Watson, may appeal the decision within three days. 
In light of her findings, the league is reviewing Judge Robinson's imposition of a six-game suspension and will make a determination on next steps. And so that's where we are right now. And I can tell you the Browns have not made a statement of their own yet. They are waiting, I think, to find the finality of whatever this ultimately will end up being. I think that there is a hope. Certainly I have it. I can say for me personally that this ruling was made by an independent person the nflpa said they'll accept it that the nfl would do the same and we can all move forward because if there is an appeal it would go to roger goodell he could appoint a designee to oversee the appeal to try to raise the suspension is what i'm guessing if the nfl appealed it they wouldn't say this was too harsh that i think this leads to a long ongoing court battle and that would escalate and become uh, it would be i think it'd be just a tough situation so that's where we are right now she's ruled six games the NFLPA said we're not appealing. The NFL is saying we're reviewing it to see if we will appeal. And I was told by somebody earlier today that they could only really appeal the process more than the evidence. That's correct. And so they thanked her for the process they, they, in their statement. If there is an appeal, I, I heard Tom Pelissero talking about this this morning. If there is an appeal, it would just be an appeal of her ruling, not the case. The case is not going to be relitigated. Right. The case is the case. The case the NFL made against Watson, that's locked in. Mm. So all that they would be appealing is her ruling. Now, both sides chose her to be the arbiter of this. They both compensated her to be the arbiter of this. Yes. To me, I agree with you, it would set off a chain of events and an onion with so many layers if there is an appeal, which, by the way, Joe, this is what they didn't want. Like, owners did not want to be judged your executioner. They hired Sue L. Robinson to and do she's this. She's done it. It's, un- it's crazy, and I don't think anybody would have wanted a case of this magnitude to be the first one. Nobody probably wanted that, which is probably everyone was pushing for settlement. Uh, but this is, nevertheless, where we, how we get to where we are today. The whole point of the process that has been set up is for the owners and Roger Goodell, don't forget, to be able to wash their hands of the disciplinary process. Because right. every time that they waded into the legal waters, which they're not f- capable of being able to do it because they're not qualified. That's not yeah. what their expertise is. They're not judges they're, they're not people that are you know rogers an attorney but in a, in a different light as the role of commissioner and so for him they just wanted to get out of the disciplinary situation because it was only leading to bad outcomes for the for the league it was leading to difficult conversations when the collective bargaining agreement was being talked about because one of the big things from the players in the last 10 years plus has been we need to get roger goodell out of the disciplinary process because we felt like he was unfair in the past and so both sides were able to come to this agreement that Sue would be the person making these decisions. She's now made her decision, and she's sided with the NFL. When you read the ruling, important. She, it's very important that you understand she has sided with the NFL in imposing discipline yep. because of conduct that violated the personal conduct policy. So she's agreed. But what she has said, which I personally agree with, is, hey, these were the rules that we've been playing with. And until you notify your employees that the rules have changed, you can't change the rules after somebody has been accused of doing something that previously called for a six-game suspension. These are the rules that were collectively bargained. This was the process that was collectively bargained. What she's saying is you can't unilaterally try to change the punishment because you didn't like the public's reaction to what Deshaun Watson did and how it was presented publicly. And I think that there is, obviously, she is a federal judge. She was chosen to do this due to her independence. And I think it would be a very wild precedent and you're speaking on behalf of the players as somebody who played in the league and you know that was one of the big points of contention and jc treader certainly understood that as the president of the nflpa was that 
this is the independent person's decision. If all of a sudden that gets overruled right. by the by NFL the league. Right. when they've set this up, yeah. I don't see how yeah. that I don't see how they can do that. I mean, well, it would be going against their own wishes to get out of the disciplinary process because right. this would by de facto put themselves back into the disciplinary process and Roger Goodell's office assigning a designate uh, Designee, designee, yeah. designee to come up with a ruling is completely over going over what they wanted this process to look like. So I just don't see how they would want to do it, and I don't see how they would do it. I just don't know how in the first time out you can undermine a collectively bargained process. I mean, be over. How would you ever go back Then all of a sudden you don't have a CBA. You don't have a CBA. It's over at that point if you go against it. The other thing that that you have to remember is if that were to be the case and that they were to appeal, my hunch is the NFLPA would say, well, then guess what? We are going to now file suit. Yeah. And that they would take it to federal court. Absolutely. And the other thing that I would think would be in play there is potentially the the suspension would be on hold as yes. that was being litigated. Theoretically, sure. Watson could play week one in like that Ezekiel Elliott. Right? Much like Ezekiel Elliott, mm-hmm. he could play with the injunction. So I think all for all of those reasons, the play here ought to be to a to agree with, and by the way, and I saw Josina Anderson uh, reporting this uh, within the hour. She's been all over this thing uh, within the last hour about Watson's not pleased about this. His camp's not pleased about this. They thought it should have been zero. They thought it should have been zero. So there's this feeling out there by some, and I think we have to be careful with the social media because it's so inflammatory that, like, no punishment was, was doled out here. And Joe brought up the great point. She sided with the NFL here. It's important that that's the case. Maybe yeah. not in the amount of terms that they were hoping for, but she sided with the NFL, not with the NFLPA, and not in this, in, not with Watson in this instance. It feels like the NFL said this is what we want. Mm-hmm. The Sean Watson side said this is what we want, which was zero. The NFL was seeking a year indefinite, and then it, at, at one point it had been reported that they had offered 12. Right. It ends up at six, which is in the middle of 12 and zero. But they chose this woman jointly with Correct. the NFLPA. And this isn't like they just picked a person off the street and said, hey, you're going to – this is a federal no. judge. Right, right. So the notion that they would then say, eh, mm-hmm. no, you're actually not good at this federal right. judge. We're going to be better at figuring out what the appropriate punishment is. Just feels like it opens up such a can of worms that will – because there's no doubt the NFLPA side is going to get back to punishment of owners and ownership. And I don't think anybody wants this going on into court forever. It's not it's good just, for anybody. I don't think no. anybody benefits from that. And I think that it makes sense – to just say, okay, this is what she's ruled. It's not what we wanted. Yeah. You guys all know that. But this is the process as it's laid out. This is what a federal judge who heard all the evidence has decided. And case closed, let's move forward now 2022. Because that also helps everybody move forward. It gets yeah. it out of the news cycle. I, I, in fact, I also I was kind of surprised that they said, we're going to take these three days because it's going to keep it going keep three it days. Going. And it almost feels like mm-hmm. they're trying to gauge the public reaction to right. the six games and decide based on that what they're going to do when she in her decision admonishes them for trying to make something more severe solely because of public outcry rather than because of the facts of the case and the precedent established for discipline in matters of this kind in the cba yeah the nfl is very smart right and i think yeah. when you look at what the chain of events has looked like to get here, including the NFL floating the, hey, we would like a year or more for a suspension. We've tried to come to a settlement of 8 to 12 games. Uh, Deshaun's team wanted a lot less. And now settling at 6, 
with an independent judge being able to get us to that situation, it's kind of what everybody wanted this situation to happen in the long run because now the NFL can still say, hey, we wanted more punishment. She did. Sue Robinson did this. But this wasn't our decision. We agreed on the process. She looked at the facts. We weren't able to come up with the punishment that we wanted. We're unhappy about it. But we're going to just side with her and agree that this thing just needs to move on because in the end, what's fair is what we need to do as far as discipline with the players. And if we want to change it moving forward, we will. But we've done everything we possibly can, and unfortunately we didn't get what we want. But let's move on and go talk about other things because our season's about to start. And by the way, to your point, it is also relevant that Deshaun Watson's side and Rusty Harden are not happy with this Correct. outcome. They yeah. felt that it truly should have been right. zero. zero games and Kessler. And so, and Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm once said that uh, that's a, you know it's a great compromise when nobody's happy. So yeah. if that's the case yeah. here, maybe that's the right thing. Just thinking out loud, this is a theoretical question, so feel free mm, to jump I love in. It. Is that, okay, if the NFL appeals, okay, let's just go down that road, their hope is to increase the discipline, okay? So the best outcome for them is we appeal it. By the way, we control the appeal process. Right, Correct. Because which is bad which for is, optics, and it's bad for assuming one of the bosses of Roger Goodell, Jimmy Haslam, right? Sure. He doesn't want that. No. So, like, you're, you're already going down the rabbit hole of making people mad and making yourself look bad. But let's go keep doing okay. that. So, right. so the benefit to the NFL of doing that is that they up the suspension and they feel like they get a – public relations victory yeah. right the downside at least as i understand it is that it opens them up to being in federal court and if the main crux of what deshaun watson side is to argue that here are examples of what owners in the national football league have done that would be similar in terms mm -hmm. of violating the personal conduct sure. policy it says in here that they are to be held to a higher standard mm -hmm. and they have not been i mean isn't the downside that you get jerry jones on a stand testifying under oath and to me the pr benefit that could be gained from getting an extra six games 10 games 11 games on deshaun watson the juice is not worth the potential squeeze to the nfl of going down that rabbit hole of all the various people that could end up under oath testifying if if i understand it right said i believe you do yeah, understand it right you went to a very nice institution of higher learning so i'm sure mm. you got your handle on it very well and i and i think you presented that very well Look at all everything in an appeal is a negative thing. It's every single one of the things is a negative. To your point, only to add a certain amount of games to a penalty. That's for, to what end? You, you're talking about a potential uh, injunction. Now Watson's playing week one. Well, yeah. you, you know the NFL doesn't want that. They wanted him gone for the whole year. So now theoretically he could be he could be playing week one. You now undermine the CBA. Mm -hmm. That's and the which process is a you huge, just that feels big. huge right. deal. You, essentially undermining the CBA. And the last thing, and I think this is the one that honestly might be the most important from their perspective, you would theoretically then be allowed to, because in the CBA, owners are the same as players in terms of their behavior that's detrimental to the league. Or higher. You, higher. Or higher. Or higher. Or yes. higher. They, you are now putting those people under the under microscope, the microscope no and on a stand, potentially in a federal courthouse. I don't think there's any positive play for the NFL. And, and think about this, right? Process. Like, I think they're actually, from a public relations standpoint, they've put it out there that they wanted a year more. They didn't get it. So really, if they go and try to relitigate it and keep this thing in the news cycle and get another six, eight games, it's still less than what they wanted. Yeah. And you had to go through this entire process and you put your designee in place 
and he was still less than what originally happened. So I don't even know if that would be a PR victory for them. So they've got to be looking at that saying, there's really nothing that we can do to appeal that's this that's going to make it better than it is right now for us and for the league as a whole. And especially to be able to say, look, Judge Sue L. Robinson did this. It was collectively bargained that this could happen. Now it's also when the CBA we can't appeal. But she ruled this. This is the first case in front of her. We decided it was a good idea to have her involved, so we were out of this business, to your point, Hoff. We're, we consider this matter closed. We're yeah. going on to the 2022 season. Deshaun Watson will make his debut week seven at the Baltimore Ravens. The end. And then what yeah. more is there really to talk about? He's settled now 23 of the 24 cases. Tony Busby had said they are open to resolving the 24th. So we are looking at a situation that is probably likely before week one happens that there are no longer any outstanding mm-hmm. cases against him, period. We know there were never any criminal cases yeah. that even got to an indictment in a grand jury. And so everybody can move forward. It's a very difficult situation, obviously, we've t- and we've covered that ad nauseum. What we're talking about now are simply the facts of the matter as it stands today. And I think for the Browns, they are looking forward to moving forward. And now you know Jacoby Brissett will be your starter the first six games as it stands today. And we'll find out if there's anything beyond that. Logistically, just so everybody out there understands, so if this holds up, six-game suspension, uh, Deshaun is able to be here today at camp. He's able to be here throughout training camp. He's able to play in preseason games. I imagine he would. Probably would. Starting September 5th, he will go away, and he goes away until September 26th. That is when the suspension, he can't be in the building, he can't be at practice for three weeks. weeks. 21 days, he's out. At that point, as is in the CBA, he can come back. He will come back at that point. He can practice. He can be in the facility. He will not play until week seven if this stands against Baltimore. Theoretically, if this plays out that way, his first two games would be Baltimore and Cincinnati. You want to talk about biggies, not going to get a whole much bigger than that. And that's what I want to do coming up next. Let's go into the football side of this. I think we laid out the facts of where we stand. Let's go to the football side of it. How does Kevin Stefanski, who, by the way, is going to be speaking here in about 15 minutes, how does he handle logistically – training camp, splitting the reps, the Jacoby Brissett part of that. What does the team do from a football perspective coming up next? Hello, Gibbs. I think coach is moving. Coach is moving? It's did, a fluid did situation. He, did he buy a new house? We're moving the basketball hoop. <laughs> Finally moving to the east side? Strongsville. That's where everybody goes. Everybody goes to Strongsville. All the cool kids are in Strongsville. Everybody At least that's what so they were when, when is, do, is he going to speak now? Or? No. Everything is fluid. He is moving to a different time. So Kevin Stefanski may or may not talk within the next two hours. Right. I would think probably not. May or may not. There may or may not be press conferences. Here's what I can tell you for sure. We're going to talk about the football side coming up next. Yeah. That's a lock. That's a gimme. Good seeing you, by the way. Hey, thanks. It's nice nice to see you. Um, You have that to look forward to, which is nice. We're off and running. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Elk and Elk, serious lawyers, serious injuries. Call 1-800-ELK-OHIO for a free case review. Elk and Elk's a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Merely Bo, the great Z, and the great Hoff here on a Monday edition of Cleveland Browns Daily out here at training camp. All right, so we we went over the logistics of all of this and the process and and where we are at this moment. Let's talk football. Yes. One thing we know about this group running this team is there are contingencies built upon contingencies, and one of the P's is plan and prepare and everything else. They, they are going to be – they knew that this was coming in some way, and there's a plan for it. How will this – how will Kevin Stefanski's plan change with the handling of these practices, Hoff, uh, and, and the lead-up of the next five weeks, and then how does he handle it from there? 
Well, I think he already had a plan in place, knowing that Deshaun was probably going to miss a few of the first games. It was just a matter of finding out exactly how many those were. And then once that suspension was handed down, now it's a matter of how does he tweak the practice and go to plan B, which was once the suspension is handed down, now I need to get Jacoby X number of reps with the first unit and then split with Deshaun because obviously he's going to be starting in week seven of the season, we expect. So I would expect today you're going to start seeing Jacoby maybe getting a few more reps with the the one group, a few more reps with Nick Harris so him and that center become as comfortable as possible because he's going to be your starting quarterback likely for the first six weeks of the season. So what happened for the first time we did actual team drills in Saturday's practice. That was the final day of the ramp-up acclimation period here for the Browns. And on that practice, that was the first time that we saw Jacoby Brissett. He would get a rep. It would be Deshaun Watson taking his normal four, and then Jacoby Brissett would come in and they'd leave the offensive line in for one more rep, and then he would have his second team reps follow after that. And so I'm guessing, I think it would be fair to guess, that today perhaps we'll see even more of, of a split and a split perhaps going forward. But the fact of the matter is Deshaun Watson is the starting quarterback of this franchise. He has not played a football game since the year 2020. With the six weeks, I'm guessing he's going to play some in the preseason. They're going to get him some live action. It won't be when he debuts yeah. against Baltimore. Yeah. But he's going to get a lot of those reps because even if Jacoby plays the six games, you're still counting on Deshaun to play almost double that. And he, this is the chance that he's going to have to get that work in with these starters. And I think one of the reasons they like Jacoby Brissett is he started – in for multiple teams in the NFL and that they feel comfortable very comfortable certainly in his abilities to lead this football team and and if the number does stay at six mm -hmm. here's what we're talking about at the Panthers the Browns will be favored my guess with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback home for the Jets the Browns will be the favorites Steelers at the Browns Mitch Trubisky against Jacoby Brissett I think the Browns will likely be favored in that one at the Falcons the Browns will be favored so Home for the Chargers week five, you'll be an underdog. Week six, Patriots probably could go either way. Yeah, we don't know what to make of we them. Don't, not, I'm sure what they're going to look like. Yeah. But this is a six-game stretch that with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, you feel like you still can have success. You can still go, you know, four and two, three and three even, which would probably be on the, the worst side of the scenario or, or not as good an ideal case. But the Kansas City Chiefs and the 49ers, both of whom appeared in their conference championship games a year ago, both started the season three and three. Yeah. last year and so I like the fact that it's six games it's four at home it's only one division game which is week three at home on Thursday night football against the Steelers who are have a new quarterback of their own whether it be Trubisky or Kenny Pickett and although we're hearing Mason Rudolph is wowing people at camp mm, and I is, hope so is in the I sure yeah. hope so as do I but th that's kind of where <laughs> you're at right now in terms of all of this and I think that that is you know for the Browns if this outcome does is the final outcome the schedule is kind of set up nicely for you in this six-game yeah. stretch to be able to have a good start to your season. Whatever your opinion on the Deshaun Watson suspension length is, there was one bit of really good news that came out recently, and that's Jack Conklin yeah. off the PUP list. And why do I say that? Because when you look at those first six weeks of the season, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize they're going to rely on their defense and their running game, yeah. right? And who's one of the best zone-blocking offensive tackles in the NFL since he got there? That's Jack Conklin. So – if he's able to be there in week one to be able to help some of that edge presence and some of those outside zones that they want to run and to be able to give them the effective rushing game that they need to be able to keep some of those October 9th, 16th games against the Chargers and the Patriots in those games that they probably will be the underdog, 
that would be a huge moment for this team to be able to win one of those games and then go that first four weeks of the season, maybe three out of four, maybe four out of four if things go well. But I, I think to me that news of Jack Conklin and his health is enormous knowing that Jacoby is going to be your guy and you're probably going to lean a little bit more on the run game earlier in the season. It's gigantic, and I think that there was a thought, certainly as I stood on the sidelines and walked Jack, watched Jack Conklin walk towards me under his own power, and then the leg completely gave out, and I was horrified seeing it, that you were hoping maybe he could be back, you know, week one. And now, coming off the pup list, that's where they believe you're able to practice. I don't know why you would take him off the pup list unless he could practice. Right? Right. I mean, I'm pretty so, sure you keep yeah. him on there until he's ready to go, which – for me, I, I tore a tendon in my elbow, and they were saying tendons just heal incredibly slowly because they don't have a lot of the blood supply that a lot of like ligaments and muscles do. And so they usually take a year or more. And for Jack to be able to come back in under a year and off the pup list, which at this point in training camp, the teams are going to err very much on the side of caution. They're not going to throw a guy out there earlier on in training camp unless he is really ready to go because the last thing you want is another type of injury, whether it be the same injury or just being injured because you're favoring that uh, the, the leg that you're coming back sure. off of that surgery. And so this is just a, a fabulous sign, in my opinion, for the Browns and for that rushing attack, having Jack potentially back in week one. How do you guys think uh, Coach Stefanski handles – the, I mean, you, you think about you got two new quarterbacks. Now, they've been here. They're through minicamp. They're install. All that stuff's going on. But but you're still at the ground level of these guys fully understanding everything that you want to do. And one thing that we know about Coach Stefanski, because we saw this with Baker, he will put his offense in the best position for that quarterback's specific skill set. No one is going to argue that Jacoby Brissett has a similar skill set as Deshaun Watson. Quite frankly, there aren't five or six people in the league that have the same skill set that Deshaun Watson has. Correct. He is a unique talent. So what does it look like here over the next few weeks with Brissett? We say we're going to rely on the defense. We're going to rely on the run game. What does Jacoby Brissett do well that we can take advantage of those first six games on the season, Z? So I think it's going to look a lot like what our offense looked like with Baker Mayfield. I think that's going to be a lot of what they're going to try to do with Jacoby Brissett. And so you look at the differences. Jacoby Brissett have the arm that Baker Mayfield has? No. But he does know his limitations, and he takes very good care of the football. You cannot argue with the fact that this is a guy, when he was the starter in Indianapolis over two seasons, threw 31 passing touchdowns and only 13 interceptions for his career. 36 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. So better than a 2-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio and so what I would expect them to do is utilize that heavy run game utilize some of the play action some of the boots get him on the perimeter as we saw uh, he's done already in training camp he made a nice deep throw to Mike Woods on Saturday's practice but my guess is it would be more of a ball control offense where you're going to try to put yourselves in third and shorts and third and manageables to give yourself run pass options it's not going to be a case where you want to be in a lot of, you know, we're just going to line up in shotgun, spread out, throw the football all game long. We're not going to try to, be, you know, be in situations where they know we're passing, whereas with Deshaun, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if they know you're passing. You feel like you're going to win. The guy completed 70% of his passes, led the league at 8.9 yards per attempt, and threw for over 4,800 yards in 2020. So it, I think it'll look more like what we saw the Browns under Baker Mayfield opposed to what we see when Deshaun's going to be out there, which is a lot more shotgun, a lot more 11 personnel, 
and a lot more of just letting him dictate where the ball goes and how this offense flows. When you have a quarterback that's as athletic as Deshaun Watson, you want to give him space, right? You see what the Ravens do with Lamar Jackson where they're just trying to get him as much space as possible because that's where he can utilize his advantage athletically over the defenders. When you got a guy like Jacoby who doesn't throw the football quite as well as Deshaun Watson or, like sure. you mentioned, Baker Mayfield, but he still has that athleticism, you want to find a nice balance between giving him space but also not putting him in situations where he turns the football over because, like you mentioned, he does a great job protecting the football. You're going to rely heavily on your defense and your running game in those games where he's your quarterback, and you want to also give him opportunities where he can convert some of those third and six with his feet, yep. where he can get outside the pocket and put defenders in a bind where they don't know if he's going to run with the football or he's going to get an easy completion into the flat to his fullback or to his, his halfback or a slot receiver. And so I think it provides a huge advantage when you have a quarterback that does protect the football but also has got a little bit of wheels to him and he's got that experience under his belt to understand, hey, i got a great defense on the other side. I've also got a really good run game, so I don't have to take the risks maybe that are necessary sometimes to win football games when you don't have that good defense that's going to get you the football back right away. Everything you guys just said, as you guys are describing all of that, I immediately went back to the Thursday night game Keenum played last year. Yes. We won by a field goal, 17-14, something like that, but it felt like it was – it felt like it was by 10 or more. Like there yep. was no chance you were losing. It was a very measured performance. It was a very take-care-of-the-ball performance. It was full command. The other thing that I would think would be really important on this, we'll ask you, the Hoff, because you would know, if we are going to play that type of offense, everybody else on that offense, with the exception to Amari Cooper, knows it. They would all be used to playing it because it's what we've done. If it's the Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski offense, it's what we've done the last two years. So with the exception of Amari Cooper and Jacoby Brissett, who's the ultimate pro, those guys have to get up to speed that everybody else would be very familiar playing that style. Absolutely. And, you know, you got David Njoku and Harrison Bryant. If you want to run some of those two tight end sets, you've got, we mentioned the receivers. And then, of course, you've got Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Andy Ernest Johnson. And I think you brought up a great point right there, talking about that Thursday night game with Case Keenum. The Browns felt that Jacoby Brissett could give them more at the position than Case Keenum. What Case Keenum did was come in and run the offense as it was supposed to be. The layups were layups. He would take what the defense gave him. That's what they feel like they can get from Jacoby Brissett. But getting it in a guy who's 6'4", 235, a guy who will extend a drive or two with his legs. He averaged about one and a half first downs per game rushing as a starter with Indianapolis. He's also great in short yarded situations as a quarterback sneaker, and that is something that actually turns out to be important. And if you watch the Browns the last three years, you know that it can be important late in games. And so they feel like he's somebody that will run the offense the way that they want it to be run. He will not lose the Browns any games. And if the Browns are because of the strength of the overall roster, if you get a quarterback play where that is not the reason you're losing, the Browns feel like they have a good chance to win more often than not. And when you look at the first four games specifically, Carolina, all right, they're going to have either Baker or Sam Darnold yep. as their quarterback, right? Yep. Uh, the Jets, second-year quarterback. Zach Wilson. Steelers, first-year. Falcons, first-year quarterback. When you have a guy who has a good defense like the Browns have and he doesn't make mistakes, you're a young quarterback or you're a quarterback that's maybe competing for a job like in Carolina, they're going to start feeling that pressure in the second half like, I got to go make a play because it's a tight game or the other team's up and their defense is really good and this quarterback's not making any mistakes. He's not giving us the football. He's not giving us any short fields. So I got to go out and make a play. And then that's where those mistakes happen. And as a rookie, it – 
goes cascading from one mistake into the next mistake. So I think it's a huge advantage for the Browns to be playing some young quarterbacks when you've got a guy who doesn't make mistakes. And by the second half, all of a sudden the other team's quarterback is starting to think, hey, i got to take these chances because if I want to win this game, it's got to happen now because they're not going to just give it away. And not only a young quarterback in the case of Zach Wilson, but the other three that you mentioned, Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, Mitch Trubisky, or when you go to Atlanta, Marcus Mariota, who's slated to start there, and maybe Desmond Ritter or Pickett overtake them by that point, but then it would be a rookie, as you said. These are three guys who are honestly playing for their NFL careers. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Four guys, if you had Darnold in the mix with Baker. Guys who are trying to reestablish themselves as starters in the NFL, Mariota, Trubisky, Darnold, Baker, guys who are trying to keep their job going throughout the course of the season, and to do that, they need to win, and to beat a team that is constructed like ours, they are going to have to take some risks, and I think we have the defense to capitalize on that, and to your point, if Jacoby takes care of the football, we should be in a good spot, so I think we will be favored in four to five of those first six games, definitely four, and there's a good chance that we can go four and two, three and three, which you're in the mix. You're in the mix at that point. Only one division game as well, Steelers. And it's let's be honest about it. You wouldn't have said this in years past, but of the three teams that you have to play in this division, oh, yeah. that's the one that you would want to play in this stretch, and you're getting them at home on a short the, week. The facts of the situation, homers, uh, all three of us aside, the sure. Steelers are going to be picked last in the AFC North yes, by, by most national media people. Yes. I, I don't. Maybe there's going to be some bozo out there who picks somebody else, but they're expected to finish last. That's They've right. got the least experienced quarterback. They've got the least amount of talent and weapons on offense. And so that's exactly like what you said. You want to play Pittsburgh early on. You feel really good about playing them early in the season when you don't have your stud at quarterback yet. Do you think people realize how big Brissett is? No. I don't think, unless you've been out here yeah. or unless you've seen him, in person, I don't know that people realize six four two thirty five. He's yeah. a load. It's a big he's guy. He's a big, big dude. And he's not a scrambler per se. No. But what he's good at is no. being kind of almost a power runner. Will get you four or five yards of scramble. He's not going to have many long ones. A long run of his career is twenty seven yards. But he's a guy that will be able to, when it's third and three, he can lower the head and carry somebody right. for three point one yep. yards. First down for the Browns. Great point guard in high school. He's he doesn't have the long speed. But he's big, athletic, and he's quick. Yeah. He can stroke right? the ball. Do you know that, too? He went out to the Cavs facility. He won oh, the three-point contest. Oh, I'm not, not surprised. A smooth a jumper. A lot of offers to play college basketball. Smooth jumper. The other thing to, that, that now shifts into focus now that we know is the backup situation. And Josh Dobbs has been here for a long time. Josh Rosen is here as well. Uh, that backup quarterback situation is one that, that bears a lot of attention here over the next month. So far. In this training camp period, and again, Josh Rosen just got here. Yeah, Josh Dobbs is the only one getting third-team reps. Yeah. And so one of the reasons when people look at this, yes, of course you need four quarterbacks here. And one of the reasons that you need four quarterbacks here is because now we know of the suspension. Teams carry always have three quarterbacks on their roster. The way that a lot of teams do it now is they'll have two active, one on the practice squad. And so the, my guess would be that if it was to, if it were today, the Browns would go, there's Coach Tarver out there getting fired up, making the rounds as only he can. You've got Brissett as your starter, Dobbs as your backup, and my guess is that Rosen would be on the practice squad. Now, when we get into these preseason games, how they perform could end up you know, switching that if, if Rosen gets some chances out here. But that's – Preseason also some becomes really fascinating to me as well. Because it just got more interesting by You think Deshaun plays, right? Because even if he gets I dinged he's, up, he's got six he, weeks. I would want to. You're going to want to put him out there with the ones, right? Yep. And so however number of reps your ones are going to get, maybe you give Deshaun 
60% and then 40% go to Brissett. But you have to find some balance between those two guys because Deshaun needs to get on the same page with his guys in full-speed game reps so that when he comes back, he's not having full-speed game reps for the first time with an entire unit. I think you're absolutely right. We'll see, Deshaun. I wonder if we see Jacoby Brissett at all in the preseason. But I still think you have to give him some of the reps with the number ones because you've got to get him up to speed, too. He hasn't played with any How of these guys. How do we define me, the let ones? Let me throw this at you. But the How question is, Jacoby do the ones gets, even really play Let much? me throw this at you. Because a lot of teams aren't playing their ones. How right? about Jacoby gets all the one reps in the joint practices with the Eagles in a safe, controlled environment where he really is not open to injury of any kind? Mm-hmm. And so that he gets them all that week, yeah, all of them. Sure. And then Deshaun can work in the preseason. But the thought to me of exposing Jacoby Brissett to injury in the preseason mm-hmm. when it would be – I feel like, obviously, look, the drop from Deshaun Watson to Jacoby is steep because Deshaun's elite. But the drop from Jacoby to Josh Dobbs or Josh Rosen feels like, big, okay, now we're, big problems. now we're scared. But at the same time, you got to get them ready. You know, you can't yes, live in fear of your shadow. I thought you were going to like my I, Eagles I like, idea. I thought I like, you were going like to like it. I, like, I really yeah. like what you're saying. Um, but when I sometimes when I think about quarterback injuries, I think less about the, you know, one and two and three-week injuries because usually those guys don't have them. It's you're either healthy or it's a, it's a big one. And so I think if you're looking at the likelihood of what type of injuries could happen to your quarterback in a preseason game, you're saying there's probably not going to be an injury that happens to your quarterback that knocks him out for just a few weeks. Sure. No. I mean, you hate to start throwing out injuries. Well, these uh, are the, these are the things, though. But these yeah, are the things that is the people you know, have yeah. to think about. But this is, and I guarantee that they have laid that out, and I would imagine they've had a big discussion about, and I think those joint practices are valuable. Part of you may say, do we want Deshaun to get some work in those joint practices? And my guess is probably, yeah, yeah but maybe he gets all the two reps in right. those joint practices against the Eagles. Let's get into that a little bit next. Now that we know what this should be as it stands today, what is the plan that makes the most sense for Deshaun Watson getting him ready for week seven over the course of this month, over the course of those when we when he comes back late September, early October? How do you make sure that's happening? Because there's one thing that I'm not sure a lot of people know that to me thick factors into that in a very, very big way. We'll get to that coming up next. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on A fifty ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. And the land on demand is now free in the palm of your hands during the entire month of August. ESPN Cleveland and the Bath Authority giving fans free access to the land on demand for all the news you don't want to miss. See us live in our brand new studios. Replay all your favorite shows commercial free and on demand. Get all access to Tony Grossi's Browns analysis and more. Visit thelandondemand.com or download the app today. The Land on Demand remodeled by the Bath Authority. All right, let's go to the, who, by the way, Deshaun just ran out here uh, and, and ready for practice in, in front of the fans out here in Berea as we get ready to start the second uh, public practice here of Training Camp 2022. Let's go through that plan, Joe. He's this, And this is something I alluded to in the tease. He has been here pretty much consistently since March. Yep. I mean, he's been here all summer. And oftentimes he would be one of the few guys who was here. I mean, this is rare, and this is not meant to be a shot at others, but that was not the case with others the last four years. Like this, he, I've only been doing this, this is my fifth year on the show, so that's all I can go is what I've seen the last four years. He's been here all summer, so I think he's got a real good handle on what's expected of him, and I think that that's a big head start. How do you handle him if you're Stefanski here over, over this camp, over that time when he's gone, when he can't have the contact, and then the three weeks when he gets back? 
So I think anybody that's seen him, whether you've been like the big Mr. Z right here and you've been watching him in person for a while, or if you're fans and you, you got a chance to see him for the first time on Saturday, there's not a lot of rust in Deshaun Watson's no. game, right? Like he looks like he has not missed a snap of football, even though he was all of last year not there. So it's not a matter of him needing the practice time so that he can learn the playbook. Because like you mentioned, the guy has meticulous study habits. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He's got tremendous amounts of experience at a high level in the NFL. But for him, the reason that he needs these reps is for him to get on the same page with these other guys. A lot of it is getting on the same page with a new center. Like if J.C. Treader was here and he'd been here forever, it's a lot easier to get on a page with a guy that's been here a long time and you're speaking a lot of the same terms and you're kind of reflecting back on some of the experiences that you've had. Oh, I remember, you know, watching you guys against the Ravens. This is how you handled that blitz. Yeah. Let's do it that way. Boom. Yeah. Next conversation. When you got a young guy who's really in his first time as a, as a starter, there's a little bit more conversation that needs to happen. There's a lot more growth that needs to happen between you and your center. But more than anything, I think it's it's the growth between Deshaun and his receivers, right? Because there's a lot of new faces for him, but also for the Cleveland Browns. And so figuring out what those guys are going to do when they're running a fade, when, they, when they've got the opportunity to break it off and go back shoulder or keep it high. Like, he needs to get on the same page to be able to see the same things that those guys see when they're running into the spaces in the zone, when they're breaking off the routes on man coverage so that they're all on the same page. And I think that's why you've got to find a way to balance the reps between Jacoby, who's going to be your guy for probably the first six weeks of the season, and Deshaun, who's going to be your guy at that point going forward for a long time. And we'll be, I'll be curious. Again, I went back while we were talking early and rewatched the tape from Saturday, and I did have that right, that Watson would take his normal four with the first team. Brissett would get his four, but the, fir- the first rep, so the fifth rep of the team periods, the one offensive line would stay with him, and then he would get three with the second team. Number one, it's always a 4-4, four, four, you know, and that's usually 4-4-4, four, 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 and then maybe a two, depending on how it goes in these camp situations. But from an offensive line perspective, is it are you okay getting that fifth rep when you're normally getting four kind of how does that you know i'm being serious how does that kind of factor in knowing what we're all trying to accomplish here mm-hmm. and the fact that these are camp reps at this time and you know we don't we haven't had the pads on i, I bet with the pads on it'll be different than mm-hmm. when we're just out here in shells and wearing you know the guardian caps when you're in camp as a lineman you're always looking for something to gripe about it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter how cheery things are how easy these training camps are compared to what they used to be you'll always find something to complain about and <laughs> if they give you an extra rep when it's hot and a little bit more of a humid day out here today uh those guys are going to be complaining because you're already a little bit more tired at the end and it's where you're usually sipping water and uh slapping asses on the sideline (laughs) but now you're standing out there one more time and uh you know what you understand in the big picture though what the importance of that rep is going to be because these are the two quarterbacks that you've got to be able to get on the same page with and i think you know if you had a quarterback that was stepping in that had been around for a long time and that had been playing and getting those reps in previous training camps it might be a little bit easier but i think there's definitely going to be a sense of urgency around here for these guys and there has been thus far of hey, we got to make these reps count because you only get so many of these before it's all of a sudden week one and Jacoby Brissett's under center. So we need to make sure that we see the defense the exact same way. The words that we use to communicate on the offensive line are being said in our heads before the quarterback even says it. So you know when it's loud, because it will be loud, no matter what the score is, week one of the season, it's going to be loud in Carolina. There's going to be a lot of piss and vinegar on that offensive line between the O-line and the D-line. 
and they need to be able to be ready when those bullets are flying. We talked a lot about, you know, you mentioned Nick Harris, you mentioned JC having been here for so long, and now Nick Harris takes over. How big is it, put it into our words, he told us, I interviewed him last week, that for him it was massive. But what does it mean? Because remember, the last two training camps, JC didn't really participate. Right. So Nick Harris has been the starting center in training camp and gotten those reps in between Wyatt and Joel for really three years now, starting this being the third of those three. How big is that for his ability to accelerate and and get, be speaking the same language with everybody on the line, but then also with these quarterbacks? Yeah, speaking the same language is, is huge, having that experience. And really, he's probably the most experienced center to be starting that has only started one game in his career because right. of the amount of practice that he's taken when J.C. couldn't practice. Um, so I think they got to feel pretty good about that, but really – the most growth that you have as an offensive line happens on game day, right? It happens when things are going on that you didn't practice for, that you're having to communicate on the line of scrimmage and make changes to the game plan before you even get to the sidelines. Those are the things I think that a veteran center provides you that a rookie doesn't exactly know, you know, what tool to pull out of his tool belt in that situation. And you got to wait to get to the sidelines to be able to have the coach say, all right, what did you see? Here's what the picture was upstairs. This is what happened. If we see that again, because I'm sure they're probably going to flip it and we're going to see it just from the other side of the field, this, whatever blitz is that, that got us, this is how we're going to handle it. And then I think it'll, it'll click. But for, for Nick getting those reps, and I think that's why we'll probably see him a little bit more in preseason with the one unit, trying to get those guys as close to a live rep feel as possible to get some of that learning that happens that can only happen against a different color helmet uh, when you're keeping score on the scoreboard. Yeah, you're talking about that extra rep and, and like, boy, who wants to do it in this heat and all of that. I imagine it is no one wants to take an extra rep this time, but it's probably easier when you think to yourself, with Jacoby, we win 55 to 60% of our games. With Watson, we can win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like that's – it's one thing to have – that, uh, to me, that's different. Like you can, we we've had, we're not even a weekend. Yep, we've never had anybody like this. No, 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 no. no, no. Well, it's so, kind of like no, no, no. so. This is no, no, no. that that makes it a little easier, I would think. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like me and you, Bo, when we show up to work making right. seven fifty an hour, and we that's got right. you know, th- there's a little more motivation when oh. you're the great Z and you're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year today? on this oh, media did contract. Did you see where you got guy. to park today? Where the kid? I, no. Is he in Haslam's parking he's, spot or he's right up he's front, on the right curb, up front, right, right in front players? of him? No, Miles Z. Miles no. Z. No, no, Big right Z. There, front I row. wish. Mr. Big That'd Z. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm 16 lots away. I gotta. I have to he's say still got my a guest name. pass. Every I'm day sorry, he's gotta come in. They take a new picture of Do I know you? If I have I met you? Fingerprint him every day. He walks through. Exactly. Exactly. All right. They are uh, just getting started out here. Guys out here running around a little bit, a little bit of stretching, some early preliminary work here uh, at camp. We will uh, paint that picture for you guys. And we've obviously, the news of the day is the suspension, uh, but there's also been a lot that's happened here. We had a, a full practice on Saturday. We need to recap yep. some of Joe's early impressions of camp as well. So you have that to look forward to, which is nice. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome into the second hour of Cleveland Browns Daily. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Bo, the, were we? Well, the last 40. Last 40. Yeah. Bo, the great Z, and the Hoff. 
here. I love as, it. Uh, Huff, as, back this is together. The, the whole gang mm. back together. Yeah. When's the last time? Last last year at the end of the year? I think so. Did you paratroop in in the offseason? It's off been a while. You know, I usually come in for the draft, but they had me in Vegas with uh, NFL Network doing the pre-draft show, so I didn't get to come back and yeah. hang out with my two best friends Gosh, that anybody oh, could ever man. have. That the whole world could ever have. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, the majority of the first hour of the program, we discussed uh, not only the process, uh, the penalty, the six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson, um, the NFLPA not appealing that process. Uh, Deshaun Watson's camp not necessarily happy with the length of that suspension, but accepting of the process. The NFL has yet to make it publicly known if they are going to appeal that or not, but they did make it publicly known that they were going to accept or that they were they were they were appreciative of the process from Sue L. Robinson, but no no word yet if they will appeal or not. We went over all of the kind of the particulars of that over the first hour of the program. So in terms of the football outside of that, which we've had a lot of, what's let's start with you, Hoff. You you were here on Saturday. What jumped out to you about the 2022 Cleveland Browns? Your first time taking them in in person. Well, I think if anybody's out here watching, they're going to see Deshaun Watson at quarterback and what he brings to this team. And it's pretty easy to see why the Browns made the moves that they did to bring him in because he just puts your offense and your team in a different category. He puts you in the category of teams that are likely to be in the conversation when the end of the season comes around for home field advantage throughout the playoffs, uh, top seeds, division winners. Like He is just that type of a force at quarterback. He gives you the ability to do anything that you want on offense. You can run a shotgun offense that's throwing the football within the pocket. You can run an offense that's in the shotgun that is getting outside more like a run and shoot where you're using his legs to throw on the run. You can put an extra couple tight ends in the game like we've seen a lot from Kevin Stefanski in the last few years, and he can run that offense with under center running the boots and the play action. So he gives you the ability to be anything that you want, and that dynamicness that he brings allows an offensive mind like Kevin Stefanski to look at a defense's true weaknesses and go at them, not worrying about what his own uh, weaknesses are at the quarterback position or on offense, he can truly just say, this is the absolute best way to attack this defense, and that's what I'm going to do to him. Yeah, talking with Alex Van Pelt about Deshaun Watson, and he said basically we are without limits or restrictions in what we want to do in terms Absolutely. of game plan design, play calling, and the structure of our offense and how we want to attack defenses. What becomes very apparent, and I'm thrilled for you to be out here to see it today, what becomes very apparent when you watch Deshaun Watson out here is that it's unlike anything that we have had with the Cleveland Browns. And, of course, that makes a lot of sense. The ball, the effortless nature of his ability to throw the ball to every single level of the field and to do so accurately, the way the ball looks in the air, it all is different. And that's why there is such an excitement about him. Amari Cooper, while you were gone, did a press conference that calls him the magician because he said yeah. he can make every single play. He can get me the ball really no matter what else is happening around me or around him. And so he brings that special factor. And listen, this is a league in which in order to have sustained success and to make runs in the playoffs, you've got to be able to throw the ball and win when teams know you need to throw the ball. Yeah. He gives us that. That's something that we really have not had. And so I think that is the most exciting part about it, and that's what people are going to see immediately when you come out here. And then I'll flip it around on the other side. Miles and Clowney together are problems. We know that the Browns had a 35% pressure rate when the two of them were on the field together last year. That was the highest of any team given any tandem in the league. And then the back end of our defense to me appears to be absolutely 
phenomenal. We haven't even seen Denzel in these team periods, but you're talking about Greg. Greedy looks great. MJ Emerson has looked good. AJ Green had a big interception uh, on Friday's practice, and he's looked great. And then we'll get Denzel out there, and then the safeties, your top three are all back. Ronnie has looked excellent. Grant continues to look good, as does John Johnson. So I just feel like this is a defense that has an opportunity to be not just good, not just help us win, but to be truly considered one of the elite defenses in the NFL. It's just an impressive-looking group. There's a lot of guys that pass the look test. There's a lot of guys that look – I mean, this seems I – mean, it's going to sound absurd, but if you follow me, I think it makes sense. we got a lot of guys who look really cool in uniforms. They do. We've got a ton of them. On the defensive side, there's like ten of them oh, that yeah. just carry themselves with a certain bounce. There's a certain swagger to it. I love the fact that so many of them are around the same size, the same height, the same weight. We talk about that, the interchangeable parts. Uh, the, this the way the whole defense, it's, it's really jumps out when you see them out here in person, just, just the, the type of havoc that they ought to be able to wreak. Your good friend Omar Ruiz was with us last oh, week. Oh, fantastic. Good and human. He's, he's a great oh, human. And great he person. said, uh, he goes, this team really has kind of the, like, get off. They pass the get off the bus test. You watch this football team yep. and these guys and this collection of athletes and the size that they have. And you say, okay, this is a team that is a team of consequence. And then you throw the skill into it, and that's where it gets can get real special. Well, you can tell why you've heard these comments from the defense about how excited they are to get out there. There's there's a different feeling, I think, throughout the entire team, but on the defense uh, specifically about how excited they are to get out there and play together in Joe Woods' system for year three with, with Joe to be able to show what they possibly can be when they're not being put in so many difficult situations like right. they were down the stretch last season. And you can see it with a little bit of pop and swagger. Uh, when you have a defense like that that knows something special is coming, you can just feel it. And I think that's one thing that the fans are going to feel when they're out here, a little confidence, a little bit extra swagger from that defense that maybe we hadn't seen thus far. And I think the one thing we're really looking at on the defense in terms of what is unknown, right, is who emerges in the defensive tackle room. And Jordan Elliott came in at 320 and looks chiseled. And so they were very pleased with what his spring has been like. You bring in a guy like Taven Bryan. But I want to flip something around to you and ask you from an offensive line standpoint. Because of the drafting of Alex Wright, the Browns really have three guys now who are very capable at the defensive end position of rushing from the inside. You brought Chase Winovich here. Apparently there's mutual interest. There have been reports between the Browns and bringing Tech McKinley back as his rehab has progressed. But let's just say in pass rushing situations, called a third and ten, if the Browns had the ability to have Miles, Clowney, Alex Wright, and Chase Winovich, who had 11 sacks in his first two seasons off of the edge, what does that do to an offensive line when you have four defensive ends on the field at once, but two of whom in the inside are big enough to hold up if you try to run a draw, but at the same time are going to be tough for guards to deal with? Well, it makes it very difficult. If you guys remember, Miles Garrett's first sack was over the guard, right? When you Against put those big guys inside and they're able to play in space um, and you're making those bigger guys, the guards and the centers, who are not used to playing against ultra-quick players, like you mentioned, the Miles Garretts, the Jadevian Clownies, it becomes a big problem because the great equalizer on the inside with your guards and centers, which the great Bob Wiley always used to say that guard and center, it's the last stop on the bus line because if you can't make it there, you're not a good enough athlete to do anything else in the football field but coach. <laughs> so those are your pretty much your worst athletes on the field. And when they're seeing a guy who's got athleticism, who's running a 4-6 like a Miles Garrett or a Tack McKinley or one of those stand-up guys that they're going to put on the inside, you're getting really nervous because you don't have your equalizer anymore, which is 
I can be a battering ram and bash you into the ground because we're going to run the football. When it's third and six and you don't have that option, it's a problem because now you're trying to play in space. You're trying to pick your quickness up to the level of a guy who's twice as quick as you are. And a lot of times you're zigging when he's already started zagging. He's already passed And it. so really from a defensive standpoint, I mean, it, it becomes uh, an ability for Joe Woods to be incredibly dynamic and creative with his pressure looks, with his personnel groupings, with confusion of those quarterbacks. And we go back to the first four weeks of the season. You got Jacoby Brissett as your quarterback likely, and they're going to be playing against quarterbacks that are largely inexperienced. Most most of those four quarterbacks are probably guys that don't have a ton of experience or talent. Haven't started a lot, and recently. certainly uh, have not started as much. And so now you're going against a defense on third down where you don't know who's pressuring, you don't know which guys are dropping into coverage, you don't know where the guys you need to identify that are going to be part of the blitz are. And now that slows down your progressions and your process of reading the defense to the point where now. You're making mistakes, and now you're trying to play catch-up once the ball is snapped. You're trying to speed up your thought process, which is not a position that you want to be in when you have a quarterback with uh, nary a a start under his belt like some of these guys might have. Yeah, and you're worried about your internal clock because, you know, Miles Garrett is coming, and he's going to be there. Oh, yeah, by the way, you've got a guy that's going to put you on your ass. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. Uh, we are uh, in some positional warming ups here. You got the guys breaking off into various stations, kind of rotating through quickly in terms of guys not uh, practicing today in a full uh, right in front of us. In fact, uh, getting loose, uh, doing some work. Uh, you have Denzel Ward, you have AWOC, you have Anthony Schwartz, and you have is that David, David Bell? Bell. Yeah, those would be so the four guys that are down. Bell, Ward, and Anthony Walker Jr. still on the pup list. Jack Conklin was taken off the pup list, and I was trying to use my, my LASIK to see way over the O line. <coughs> to see if I could see Jack, but not yet. Sometimes coughing helps you see a little bit better. I noticed that. I'm seeing a 78 out there. Unless it's 76. I got fairly good vision, but sure looks like it's 78 out there. Uh, I'm going to go sneak over there at 3 o'clock. And I'll get, give you get guys, a good feel I'll, about I'll it. I'll send you a report at yeah. Thomas 73 Follow me on Twitter or now Instagram, which is uh, – Brand new for me. Still trying to figure that out. How what? could anybody not be following you at this point? I mean, you're the <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. By the way, um, while we're going Here's through various uh, various processes, we are also going through our own training camp of sorts here uh, on the Radio Row in that we are now conducting this show from a sauna. And that's yeah, something that you normally say, don't do. Normally, this is my fourth workout of the day already. That's right. <laughs> normally, in a normal situation in a broadcast, you want a nice, cool room. In fact, you do. In fact, Dave Letterman Climate was controls. famous for having a cold studio because it keeps the energy up. Uh, a warm studio oftentimes would make you tired. fall asleep sure. and it would make you tired. This is so damn hot that I think it even goes beyond tired. <laughs> this is almost like go take a cold shower Too and sleep on top sleep. of the sheets. Hoff's happy. Right. Hoff's still dry, trying to drop 10 pounds from where yeah. I don't know. I don't the know guy looks like he's chiseled out of stone. I'm over <laughs> here trying Adonis. to keep my weight. Yeah. I feel like I'm throwing all my, all my water out. This is no good. It's, it's no good. good. I'm out there yeah. getting my pump, Gibbe, and now you're trying to make me sweat it all out. It's all Gibby. By the way, Gosh. I just was curious if because I saw the video. Boy, what an incredible effort you had! By the way, in the in the drones video, that was to see you in there. That's a Thank critical you. role. What a great video that is! Right? I, I, I would have set aside a whole week Saturday to do that. If I were you, I would have done that. Um, but I thought that was really great. But I did notice <laughs> that the drone flew through Frayne's window, where he always keeps an eye on Gibby. Yeah, from the did. old beep 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 days. Sure, they had to remove that glass, and then yeah, the drone went right through. 
the Gibbe window. Is it followed? The Gibbe window. Uh, yeah, and went into the – check that out. That was actually a very cool video. It was awesome. I do think, though, the most remarkable thing about that video, and you're wearing the awesome NFL oh, Jam shirt with Joel Batoni and Wyatt Teller. How great Teller. is this shirt? My guys from Amish. From Amish. Good job out of them. It's an b- absolute beauty. Look at that beard on Batoni. Almost looks thing. Amish for an Amish <laughs> shirt. But like I, a I wilderman. But, you know, what's Joel tipping the scales at right now, would you say, Hoff? Well, you said 320 and chiseled uh, a minute ago. I thought you were talking about Gibby for a second, but the next guy I was going to guess was Joel Batonio because uh, he is looking chiseled and ready to rock and roll in year nine. I, I talked to him a little bit on Saturday. Um, he's feeling refreshed, spending a lot of the offseason out in San Diego, beautiful, sunny San Diego. But San Diego. This, he said, honestly, this, this is the most excited that he has ever been coming back for training camp. Obviously, as you get older, going through year 9, 10, 11 for me, you become a little bit more reflective of how many years you have left and how many opportunities you're going to get to go and get that Lombardi trophy. And certainly Joel is looking at this season as his best opportunity yet, and he is in the best shape of his life. Uh, 320 and chiseled, most likely. 320, and so that leads to my my point here is I thought the most remarkable part of that drone video is that clearly Joel, when he's done with this, has a future as an Olympic diver because if you can, as a 320-pound man, do a cannonball into a pool and have no splash and displace absolutely no water, that's a real skill. That The triple Lindy, back to school, fine film. But that is an incredible skill for him to make no splash on a cannonball off. That was probably the most surprising thing of the drone video. Um, I, I, I thought everything else was really cool, but that one really just took my breath away because I'm wondering, where's the splash? Where what, is it? What kind of genius computer wizardry did they do to the graphics to be able to take Joel Batonio's 300 and chiseled splash out of that video? Completely gone. It was wow. like, who, who are some of those famous uh, the divers? Greg Louganis Greg going Luganus. into the pool right That's there. Right. Boom. No splash. Not no. even a drop. Just Not even a drop. And just bubbles, just yeah. a little bit of just scalp. Bubbles and a little sound. <laughs> and a little, Watch little out, bit of blood. <laughs> <laughs> a little scalp, no big deal. You want to make sure you clear. Got to clear that. You want to make sure you clear on that. Uh, we do have some roster moves. We will get to that. We'll keep you updated. Continue to paint the pictures uh, here at camp. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Bo here for my friends at Renew Home Exteriors. Upgrade the look of your home with new siding from Renew Home Exteriors. Receive $1,500 off on free installation wrap plus 0% interest for qualified buyers. In addition, Renew Home Exteriors will meet or beat competitors' estimates by up to 10% or pay you $100. Hear from their customers. Blake said this, Renew did an excellent job with my roof and siding. Very professional crew. Good rates. Show up on time. I couldn't be more pleased and would do repeat business in a heartbeat. Beautify your home with premium siding and roofing products at lower prices with Renew Home Exteriors. Text Estimate to 71441 to book or visit RenewEstimate.com for more. Uh, In terms of roster moves on the field as the team continues its preparations for the 2022 season here at training camp out at the Cross Country Mortgage Campus, we have Jack Conklin activated off the pup. We mentioned this briefly earlier as we were discussing the Deshaun Watson conversation, Joe, but I, I think it deserves a lot more than that. And, and I like what you said uh, when, when we were talking about it earlier in the sense of I am I am shocked that he's able to go now. To me, this felt like 
if we could have him week one, I would be thrilled. I, I think it's a remarkable thing that, I, Joe, I, I'm stunned. I'm shocked that even week one is yeah. a possibility because you're talking about. It was horrific. Uh, yes. Guys that I've played with or were around um, that had had these type of injuries, like some of them never played again. Now, sometimes there were other situations around it, but the patellar tendon is fired by your quad muscle. And as an offensive lineman, having a strong quad to be able to move backwards is kind of like your, your your bread and butter. It's like yeah. J-Lo and her butt. Like, that is <laughs> what the straw is that stirs the drink there. Check that so off on the bingo board. you can't just have 95% strength to be able to go back out there and play well and be able to function at somewhat of a decent high level. Like, that thing has to be 100%. And so that's part of the reason coming back from an ACL is so difficult when it's your inside leg for an offensive lineman because your inside leg is what you're traditionally pushing back when you're doing pass protection off of. And when you tear an ACL, your quad atrophies a lot, and that's what you have to build back up during the rehab process. And so a patellar tendon, that rehab is even worse and more difficult than an ACL because of the damage to the patellar tendon and the soreness that comes with trying to rehab and grow that uh, VMO and that quad back. And so for him, in under a year to be legitimately out here practicing, running around is no less than remarkable, an enormous testament to the work that he's put in, to the doctors that performed the surgery and the trainers that helped with the rehab. So I actually got a chance to kind of, I feel like, know Jack a little bit this offseason because, you know, prior to that, when he was here, it was COVID and we yeah. weren't around as much. And in this offseason, there was a while when they were removing the weight room all around where they were working out. The guys who were rehabbing were actually, and it was actually Jack and Nick Harris were in there every day, and I saw Charlie Hewlett was in there quite a bit. But they were working out in our, the gym for the employees here with the Browns. And so I got to see Jack in there every single day and got to talk to him a little bit. And I remember coming out and being just, it felt like he was getting that strength and you could see him and all the things that he was being put through by our incredible strength staff. And then we came out here, Wednesday was the first day of camp. Thursday, during the media availability around 11, 1130, I looked over and right here they put in, and this is Newhoff, you see the grass field and now we have this turf area right over here. And I looked over. And somebody was doing, like, their pass sets and moving great. And I could not believe it. I'm like, wait a second, that's Jack. I couldn't believe he was moving so well. I didn't even think that was in, within incredible. the realm of possibility. And then not even a week after seeing that, he's activated off the pup list. Now that I'm able to speak and not coughing, he is over there. So my guess would be that he will just participate in individual and position group stuff. Won't that's get into crazy. any team stuff, right? Wouldn't you think that will be... We'll yeah, take our time with that. You usually want to be a little cautious. When you're putting a guy back in there into team drills, it's usually after at least a week or so of doing the individual drills, doing maybe some of the breakdown drills where there's not as many people because the last thing you want is somebody to get rolled up yep. before they're ready. Before, when they're still thinking about their knee, they're not as aware of what's happening around them. So you kind of want to ease them into some of those team drills. And um, I'm sure that they have a plan to get him full reps before week one where they're kind of ramping up and that's their target date to get them completely ready and completely acclimatized to being an NFL player in an NFL game. So as we're looking over there deep in the post, offensive line is going through some of their zone breakouts where it's the guard and the tackle moving together. What what are you accomplishing in these position group periods? Because there's a lot of time dedicated to that before you get into a seven on a seven or a team period. There's always especially at the Browns practices, and it's been that way 
ever since I've been here, but I feel like even maybe more so with this group that there is so much position work that goes on. What are you trying to accomplish in those Well, in those especially periods? for offensive linemen, having that position time is so important because you can work a lot more reps than you can get in a team period, right? Because you can line everybody up on the offensive line and get the proper first step in the zone concept. You can get the, the exact angle of departure that you want in your outside zone, in your inside zone. You can work your combinations. When you have two offensive line coaches and maybe sometimes even an, an assistant and an intern, so you got three guys, you can break those 15, 12 to 15 players up a little bit more and get so many more good reps where you're breaking down and you're coaching that rep instantly and they're able to make immediate gains in that moment. Whereas in a team drill, when you're going back to the huddle, the coach will make a little note if he sees one guy screw up. But a lot of times you don't really get to coach on that and make a correction till later on after practice is over and you're watching film. And sometimes by that time, it's almost too late. Right, because yeah. the guys made that mistake maybe three times throughout the practice, whereas when you're in those breakdown sessions, you're running individual, you're getting some double-team blocks, you're able to correct things right away. You're able to get more reps but also make those corrections instantaneous and prepare those guys for the looks that they're going to get in those team periods so you get good work in the team periods and guys aren't screwing things up where you can't even get the play started. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm just watching four over there. It's such a pretty ball. It is it's so pretty in the air. It's just an easy ball. Easy. Effortless. It's just a flick, and it's just on stride, yep. dropping in a bucket over. And mm. It's like it's out of a guns. You're going to be really happy time. watching this. Yeah, it's you're gonna be pure quite joy. Pleased. Yeah, I mean, that is, part of it is certainly pure joy. You're going to be so. quite pleased. Yeah, it's, it was good to see. You know, we tell also, in, in addition to, to Jack, um, and we, we do have a, one other thing to mention here from a transactional standpoint. Wide receiver Derek Dillon comes in. He was on the LSU National Championship game, a, a very minor contributor to that team, yeah. has not played um, in the National Football League. He has come in at wide receiver. Isaiah Weston is out. He was, of course, hurt with the ACL, so he is done. So that's the way that that goes there. We're looking at Anthony Schwartz here, David Bell. They have not, they're not practicing. Uh, there's injury concerns there. That is, I think, something of, of significance is the wide receiver position here over the next couple of weeks because it's thin. So here's the, the deal with the We've wide receiver. We've talked about this all offseason. All offseason. I mean, we have. It is thin. And so you've got Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones. That's your one-two. David Bell, who's right in front of us right now, wearing number 18. That's the guy you probably think is going to be your starting slot receiver. We have not yet seen him in training camp. Anthony Schwartz is somebody that I, a lot of people around here feel like is the key to unlocking this offense. He has the vertical speed that can make a defense say, we need to roll a safety in that direction. His vertical routes can create space for the crossing routes that come underneath them. And so he's a very important piece of what the Browns want to do. And yet he was injured basically on day two of training camp. Uh, they feel like they avoided a serious injury. He will be ready for the season, but he's not out there. Javon Wims is another guy who's in that wide receiver room, who's a four-year veteran, 6'4", 217, who had 33 career games with the Bears, seven starts. He hasn't practiced all training camp either due to illness. So you're talking about four guys with Weston being out that you are expecting to be a part of that receiver room and get those reps in that rotation that are all out right now. Now Weston's done. He was waved injured. Derek Dillon comes in. You have a lot of guys that have to run routes, seven-on-sevens, team drills. Now, two guys that I think are taking advantage of these opportunities, or three, I would say Felton has had a nice job in the slot. He's worked exclusively with the wide receivers so far in this training camp. 
You talk about Jakeem Grant, who we think of as the return specialist, but he's got 505 yards receiving and a couple of touchdowns in the last two seasons alone as a pure wide receiver. He's made some plays. And then there's Mike Woods, the rookie out of Oklahoma that the Browns drafted, who's got good size. He's a sixth rounder. He's got a big body, and boy, I hope we post our Browns breakdown of him with, with myself and Coach Chad O'Shea soon because he surprised me what we saw on tape, and it's carried over. You, you What's the Ch- number, Z? What am I looking for on him? Nice number work 12. promoting the own, your own stuff there. I like That's that. That's good I'm, synergy. I'm excited. That was beautiful. Synergy. Well to be fair, Hoff, he's doing so much. It's a, it's a big Z the moment kid right is, there. It's a big Z moment. I mean, there's so much that he's doing, so many different outlets it. you're on, so many beautiful. apparatuses. My King DVR is full. Uh, yeah, the king of all media. I'm and taking so 12. Aside. We're looking for 12. Gibe, uh, we're looking to maybe launch my own YouTube channel, right? Actually, no, I nipped that one in the bud. But nonetheless, well, I, think, I think it's really interesting. If, you, if you're coming out to camp, you know, what are the the battles that are going to become That's it. big? Yeah. It's, it's receiver. And I think one of the guys that really I'm going to be watching when I'm out here is Demetric Felton. You, you mentioned there, you know, he was a guy that uh, had a lot of accolades and a lot of um, – People talking about him when the Browns drafted him as a potentially running back, playing slot receiver, having experience um, outside on the edge and the things that Kevin Stefanski could do with him creatively within this offense. Now, all of a sudden, you're a little thin at receiver and you're looking to play a lot more 11 personnel next year with Deshaun Watson. And so where potentially can Demetri Felton play on this team and can he create a little role for himself where Kevin kind of uses him as a little toy and kind of creates some very difficult things for a defense to be able to handle a guy with that many unique traits. Dixie's so good in space. Last year, as a receiver, got into the end zone twice last year, caught 18 of his 21 targets, 181 yards in the two scores. But it's an interesting battle because just it's a numbers game, right? You're not going to keep more than six receivers. So you've got um, you've got Amari, you've got DPJ, you've got David Bell, you drafted third round this year, Schwartz, you drafted the third round a year ago. Then beyond that, You've got Jakeem Grant, who likely counts as a receiver in your final 53 yeah. because he's going right. to play somebody's your return guy. So that kind of leaves one spot for a Demetric Felton, for a Mike Woods, or for if the Browns elect because of Schwartz's injury and they're not getting what they need out of him, for a, a T.Y. Hilton or a Will Fuller or a Deshaun Jackson mm-hmm. that is, of today are still out there and available to you. So that's a real battle to make this roster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to come down, I would bet, likely is, you know, Felton's been a good special teams performer. Can Woods play any special teams? Do they really think he can develop as we're kind of looking right now? The Browns going through a team period on the other side, and Deshaun Watson is still getting the first team reps. Uh, The first play was a handoff there to Nick Chubb, and he's completed a couple passes as well, one to the Chief I saw. Tough to see from our vantage point, but that is going to be a big – He's a better door than a – 320 and chiseled right right there. Big chiseled back. out of big back. It's fair to say. Chiseled out of jello. Suds. <laughs> I think it is fair to say that the receiver position is is the one that's on the clock a little bit. No, no offense. Like that, that, that's on the clock. Like yeah. there's got a there's got I mean defensive tackle for sure. Yeah. But but I don't even know like that receiver room has got to go. Well, because you know they how important go. that is yeah, going absolutely. to be to the yep. success of this team yep. down the stretch, especially, yep. you know, second half of the season when they're going to be yep. competing for the division and a playoff run, they're going to be throwing the football, and that's going to be who you are. And and the, the names that you mentioned potentially bringing in at receiver, all deep threat burner, take the top off type guys because that's who Anthony Schwartz is, and that's sort of the, the, to be. the piece of this offense that maybe it's not obvious who that is going to be because that's not Amari Cooper. That's not those other guys that you mentioned. And I'm curious, Z, you know how much respect I have for your understanding of this offense and this roster from top to bottom. When you're looking at your receiver room, at what point does Kevin Stefanski say, 
and Chad O'Shea go, hey, these are the guys we have, so we're going to have to maybe tailor the offense a little bit. Yeah, we like to take the top off. We know Deshaun can do that really well. But when you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson and how much he utilizes the underneath stuff because he makes guys miss, he extends plays, and then he uses the mismatches that he has with his tight ends and his little guys in the slots to hit easy completions or easier completions from 20 yards down the line, down the field and in, and maybe that's the direction you start kind of not not everything not wholesale change to your offense but maybe you start steering some of your offensive concepts to maybe some more of those uh short area stuff where you do get those little jitterbugs on the field and you don't try to be somebody that you're not well one of the things they love about deshaun watson is his accuracy and so you can develop big plays in multiple facets right you can develop by throwing it over the top of the defense and he's a very accurate deep ball thrower you can also do that by hitting guys in stride and giving them opportunities for yards after the catch. Donovan Peoples-Jones, for example, averages 18 yard and a half yards a catch for his career in two seasons here. But he's not a take-the-top-off defense, but he's a great contested catch guy, and you can still get vertical with him in that respect. I do think that one of the things that they feel is very, very important to this offense, though, is that ability to stretch the field because it's not just for what it does stretching the field with that one player and the plays can be made throwing it vertically to them. It's the space that it creates. This is an offense that where you have those boots, you like to work multiple levels. And so if your top level is able to get those safeties back, that intermediate dig is now a a backside dig that you can hit, catch, and then run and turn a 20-yard pass completion into a 60, 70-yard touchdown because of the space that's created. So I think they do think that it is very critical to have that space in this component of this offense and I know it's something they are very much hoping that you, you talked about Schwartz that he could do that. Now, Weston, who went down, not polished at all, but he was 6'4". He ran in the low four threes and averaged 24 yards a catch at Northern Iowa. So he was as vertical as vertical gets, but even if he was a one-trick pony, it was a fairly good trick. He's out. The guy they brought in, Dylan, as we talked about, didn't play much at, at LSU. That's not necessarily indicative of anything because the guys he was behind were, what, Jamar Chase and the guy Terrence Marshall and Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Now, he hasn't made, but he ran a 4-2-9 at his pro day. So he has some speed. So maybe that's just what they're looking for. But I think that the vertical component is very important to what they want to do to create space because what we found, and I think we'd be more effective, obviously, with Deshaun Watson, but you even go back to 2020 when we were really effective and Baker was playing his best football. It was a lot of throws in in tight windows, and we operated within a 20-yard framework. They don't want to do that. They want to open the whole field Mm -hmm. for Deshaun. Imagine – we talked about explosive plays and how important that is to the success of your offense. You can get them primarily through throwing the football, but Nick Chubb, one of the best explosive play running backs in the NFL. You imagine how good this offense is going to be and how it's going to look when you're able to throw the football down the field, which we haven't been great at in the, the three, four previous years. Sure. If you're creating that space underneath and you're taking the top off where those safeties are worried about the ball going over their heads instead of their run fits, now the ability when you do break through that front seven for Nick Chubb. See you later. He just ran a 4-1 over there a second ago. Yeah. Nick Chubb. He's and literally flying off of him. You got to run. You have more jobs. Dan I got to Gra- go? You got to go. Dan Graziano up next. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Hi, Bo Bishop. 
and the great Joe Thomas here on Cleveland Browns Daily. Let's head on the hotline for a visit with our great friend, ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano. Uh, well, we got the news that it would be today, and it was. It was this morning at 8.30. Dan, what is your uh, kind of initial, now that you've had a couple of hours kind of digest what Sue L. Robinson decided here, uh, kind of your initial thoughts on it all? Well, I see I'm fascinated by the process, right? Like that it's a new process that, you know, the NFL is in a situation where it has to like almost publicly prove its case in order to, um, to uh, you know, to impose discipline. And then, um, and then you know, the, the players have a say in it. I think that's interesting. And I'm reading through a report right now. I've been out of Packers practice today. Um, I'm reading through her report right now, and it seems pretty clear that, I mean, that she has determined that he violated the personal conduct policy, that the league did a good job proving that he did that. Uh, so what's at issue is um, the length of the suspension. And I think that's what that's will hang over this for the next couple of days, obviously, until we find out whether the league is appealing, whether, whether the commissioner decides to uh, lengthen the suspension based on, uh, based on you know, whatever – disagreement he or his appeals officer has with her findings and I think that's that, that's the final uh sort of uh bit of this that we have to figure out and, and, and find out how it's going to go so but just reading through it I'm interested in the process because I think it's um I, I think it's I think it's changed more significantly than people are willing to admit yeah. based on some of the reactions I've seen uh, around the you know the internet and whatnot well it begs to ask the question that all Browns fans are wondering right now what are you hearing Dan from the NFL on what is the likelihood that they do appeal this suspension? I think they're in a tough spot because uh, it does seem like, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that the public reaction to this will be that it's insufficient. And the NFL is, you know, it can be swayed by that. It's a public facing organization and, and it, it does factor public opinion and, and the opinion of its fans into, into decisions like this. Flip side though, you know, they engage in a collective bargaining process with their players, and they settle on a process where there's an independent arbitrator to determine uh, appropriate discipline. And, yes, the commissioner has maintained the power to have the final say, but to come out and, and sort of blow up the whole independent arbitrator concept on the first, on the first case that has gone before her uh, would seem to be tricky if you're talking about your relationship with your players uh, and how they feel about the discipline process that they negotiated. So I think I think they're in a tough spot. Uh, my guess, and it's just a guess, would be that they would file the appeal and that uh, and that it might be a longer suspension than six games. But um, I could also absolutely say see Roger Goodell throwing up his hands and saying, you know, we tried, but this is um, these are the findings of the arbitrator, and we uh, and we're going to respect and stand by them. Dan, just from just a, a bit more on that, if that were the case and an appeal were to be filed by the NFL, would that not trigger, I mean, just connecting dots, the NFLPA filing suit um, against the NFL in that process? And then isn't there isn't there potentially for an injunction and maybe Watson plays week one? And in addition to that, wouldn't that also open up, I mean, inevitably down the line, like owners on the stand because they're supposed to be held to the same standard? I, I doesn't that all speak to kind of what you're talking about potentially of how messy this this could be kind of never ending if there's an appeal here, couldn't it? It could. The NFL has ultimately succeeded when the when the PA has taken them to court in cases like uh, Ezekiel Elliott and cases like Tom Brady, 
Um, so they may like their chances uh, if the if the NFLPA decides to do that. Again, that's an if. We do not know that Watson or the NFLPA will pursue legal action, and, and I don't really like to to, to forecast things like that and, sure. and focus on if they happen. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll see. But you're right. I mean, yes, obviously the, the union's argument and Watson's argument hangs on the idea that owners are not punished the same way players are. Uh, in the report, the discipline officer Sue L. Robinson acknowledges the validity of that argument, though she does indicate that it didn't factor into her ultimate decision on, on appropriate discipline. So I think if, if Roger Goodell or his appeals officer were to come in and, um, and overturn this decision, that you would hear uh, a significant outcry from the player's side uh, and it would be centered on that idea that, that uh, owners are punished and held to a different standard than players are. If they did try to appeal the suspension, how would that affect the CBA and where would the Players Association stand on this independent arbitrator that the last collective bargaining agreement drew out as the agreement between the league and its players yeah. on how to handle discipline? So my understanding, and I was asking somebody this question last night, like why why does it why did it settle where it did? Like you have an independent arbitrator, but the commissioner still has the final authority to overrule that arbitrator, like how that happened. And what it was what was told to me was that the league insisted on that second part in exchange for uh, granting the first part, right? So I think you know they wanted Roger Goodell to continue to have the power he's had to administer the discipline policy, but. As a condition of the collective bargaining agreement, they were willing to give the players some level of say in it, right? I mean, we're in a situation right now where the league investigators had to literally go before a retired federal judge and prove their case, right? And that, that wasn't yeah. the case in the past, right? Like, you just had to prove it to Roger Goodell, who may have been on your side to begin with. So um, I think it's an incremental advance for the players. I'm sure next time around they'd love to get that – Goodell, as appeals officer, uh, part of it uh, eliminated, and maybe they would succeed. Maybe they'd get a different commissioner at that point. No, just 10 years away. But um, uh, I, I think that uh, the key thing for them is, is that they got the independent arbitrator, and now it allows them to yell and scream and holler if he decides to overturn her decision and say, hey, this isn't fair. The league's just doing what it always wanted to do and doesn't care about the players. Well, Dan, the other point of this, and you brought this up in one of your earlier answers, but I think in a way it's gotten lost in this because I think there's, you know, it does feel like that a lot of people feel like it's not long enough. The NFL did win, right? I mean, she did find that yeah. he broke the, the personal conduct policy. So, like, she did She did favor in their, in their manner, I mean, in their favor. Correct. And, and that's all detail. If people read the report, which is certainly out yeah. there to be read. Uh, it, it is clear that she found he did violate the personal conduct policy. And that decision is binding. According to the CBA, she gets to decide whether he violated the policy or not, and that is binding, which means that if she had decided that he didn't, then there would be no appeal right by the league. Like, it would, be, it would just be over. So the only thing she doesn't have final say over is the, is the amount of – is the extent of the discipline. So, yes, she, she did rule in the league's favor on the question of – did he violate the personal conduct policy? Uh, and then in addition to that, she is tasked with assigning some discipline if that is the case, and then uh, the league can decide whether it was appropriate or not. The league floated a trial balloon a few weeks ago at, saying that they wished the suspension would be a year or more, 
And do you think that that was something that the league put out there after starting to see the case and how it was being handled by Sue L. Robinson and realizing that it probably was going to be a suspension that was far less than a year and maybe that was their way of covering their tracks a little bit from a public relations standpoint so that they could say, look, we wanted a really stiff suspension, but unfortunately this was the decision that she made and she's an independent arbitrator and so – you know, we wish we could be much harder in this situation, but unfortunately these, this is what was dealt to us, so we just all need to move on. Well, the first thing I want to say in answer to your question is um, I always have a hard time with the characterization of, of reporting as uh, a leak, right? Like, we know now that we've read the report that the league sought an indefinite suspension with the right to apply after one year. That's now a matter of record. It's in the report that was issued today. Um, how, wherever that was reported in the media, you know, was it leaked to them by someone with the league office? Was it a reporter that just did the right kind of digging and found that out? That's not a, a realm in which I like to operate, right? So uh, I would say this to the second part of your question. Um, I think when the hearing was over, there was a sense on both sides that it might have, it might have gone the player's way a little bit. Um, and I think that's reflected in where you saw the settlement talks, you know, my understanding on the settlement talks was that uh, Watson was willing to agree to something in the six to eight game range. And the league, the closest they ever got to that was 12 plus an $8 million fine. And Watson just sort of decided I'll take my chances with the arbitrator. Uh, now, if he had settled, uh, you know, let's say they came to nine games or whatever, and they had settled there, then this would be over, right? There would be no appeal because there would have been no finding by the arbitrator. Uh, so, I, I think there was a sense after that hearing that the league might not get everything it wanted and that the, the player might come out of this uh, in a more favorable situation than, than maybe it was thought before that hearing. And, and that's just based on how they all felt that the judge responded to their arguments and, and the way she asked questions. And I have attorneys in my family that tell me all the time, you know, in, in situations like this, be careful, like don't, don't, don't let that, you know, <laughs> you know, if we've walked out of courtrooms thinking we were in good shape and turned out we weren't. Uh, but in this case, it looks like uh, some of the unions and the players' argument about what appropriate discipline would be were um, they, they, uh, they found a, a good audience. Dan, you're the best. Thank you so much for your time on a very, very busy day, my friend. All right, guys. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. That's the great Dan Graziano of ESPN joining us on the hotline there. Still so much more to come. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Rumpke Waste Recycling, family-owned and operated. Whether you join them as a customer's employee, become part of the family, visit rumpke.com to learn more. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of heavy lifting on the program today in terms of the Watson suspension, but there are some things that jump out. Cade York is good, 6-6 <laughs> six six on field goals. <laughs> Hit one from 51. This is a fun team, guys, and I think that, Joe, one, now that this part is – behind us and hopefully the NFL appeal process I mean we've gone over it time and time again over the last two hours that stops and we have a penalty and nobody's really happy with it but we move forward and can get excited about this football team and we can finally play the schedule game we can It'd start looking at all right here's who the quarterback's gonna be we think yeah. we got this one we maybe don't have that one that's just what we want as fans right we just yeah. want that pure joy back and yeah. we're getting closer we are Great seeing you again, my friend. Great to be back. The next level is coming up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN, 850 WKNR.